<laughs> Zechariah chapter 6, and this is the eighth of eight visions. Eighth of eight, Zechariah chapter 6. And I, I overshot, I said we we're going to do the whole chapter tonight, but we're going to go down to chapter 1, or chapter 6, verses 1 through uh, 8. And this is the eighth vision. Uh, we'll read into the next part of this chapter, just kind of set the uh, foundation for what we'll do next. Do notice at the top right of your notes, I did that because I knew I would forget. No class next week. I have parent-teacher conferences, so I will not be here. So that's next week. Uh, we'll come out after that, so keep that in mind. I'll try and announce that several times. Uh, Zechariah chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, remember, these these have kind of a correlation between the first and the eighth vision, the second and the seventh vision. So, uh, I do want to read the first vision and just kind of you know, so he's considered this because it opens uh, with this vision, chapter one, verse seven. And all eight of these visions take place the same night, February fifteenth, five nineteen B.C. Right here on our our chart. On the 24th day of the 11th month, I'm in chapter 1, verse 7, the month of Shebat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Idu. During the night I had a vision, and there before me was a man riding a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in, the, in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. Uh, I asked, what are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking, so there's an angel or a man standing there, probably the angel of the Lord. There's mounted angelic troops behind him on three different colored horses. Uh, they're among myrtle trees. We're going to assume they're down in the Kidron Valley, which is going to help make sense of this tonight. It doesn't say the Kidron Valley, but that's a fair place to consider. Uh, what are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking, this is not the angel of the Lord, this is the interpreting angel that's been following Zechariah through these visions. I will show you what they are, the angel said. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees, that would be the angel of the Lord, the second member of the Trinity, explained, these are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. So these are angelic troops that are, in a sense, patrolling the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. That's the man standing. They had gone out and patrolled and they came back with a report. Very similar to what you see in many stories, angels going out, bringing back information. Um, I mean, we'd like to think, you know, we're in our little Christian Sunday school mind, God is omniscient, He just sits on the throne and just knows everything. But when you get into the daily grind of the Scriptures, He's sending angels, asking questions, they're going out, bringing information, giving Him, we even see them giving Him advice, and He rejecting that idea, accepting this idea. So there's interaction in the console of the Most High, He's getting information. Um, you know, in the council of the gods, we would say. Uh, we have gone throughout the earth, they report, and found the whole world at rest and at peace. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, and again, this would be the second member of the Trinity speaking to the first member of the Trinity, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah? Once again, we're shocked because the, the report is there's peace throughout the earth. Oh, good, because Jesus wants peace amongst the nations. No, when he finds out there's peace and the world is at rest, he's like, wait, this is not right. I want vengeance. Uh, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the, the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? You've sent them into captivity. Now they're back and the, the world is still at peace. Uh so, the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. In other words, there's a report comes back and says, okay, I've got this under control. Here's what we're going to do about peace throughout the earth. We're going to stir things up. We're going to start moving kingdoms around. We're going to start taking kingdoms down, bringing kingdoms up. Like in Daniel, we saw the, the winds of the heavens stirring up the sea. It's like, okay, now we're moving somewhere. Now we're going somewhere. So, it's just that contrary to... You know, the casual Christian mind who would, God just wants peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Well, when there's peace on earth and all the men are getting along without God in a godless state, God's the one who stirs things up so that there's commotion. Think Tower of Babel. If you just would have left the Tower of Babel alone, 
It would have been everybody one language, one community, one big city, everybody living happily forever. Oh, yeah, totally godless, uh, doing whatever they wanted with you know people under oppression, but there would have been peace. God says, no, that's not going to happen. And he brought confusion, started different nations, started different races, different languages. Man can't work together, they can't figure it out. It's like, yes, now we're going somewhere. So it's just interesting when you see that. It's like the, the casual Christian... Western Jesus sometimes doesn't match the Jesus in the scriptures who's taken this from point A to point Z or from Alpha to the Omega of bringing about the plan of salvation. But he speaks kind and comforting words to the angel who would talk with me. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. But I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they have added to the calamity. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the major line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Now, we go to chapter 6. This is the, that was the first vision, and it correlates in a sense with the eighth vision. A lot of things have taken place. We've talked about the, the priesthood. We've talked about the governorship. We've talked about the, the building of the temple and the people working together. We've talked about purifying the land with sin. But these are both, in a sense, universal visions. These are talking about the nations uh, and their relationship with Israel and that God is patrolling and overseeing it. One commentator uh, has, has mentioned, and this makes sense, if you've got eight, and it's very clear, these are eight visions on this one night in 519 B.C., that if you've got eight visions crammed into one, one night, and they're happening in a sequential order, it would appear, that it wouldn't be, and it doesn't say this in the text, so don't, don't, this is not in the text, but this first vision could have began at dusk, you know, as the sun was setting, and here's the situation, and this vision is happening uh, right before sunrise that we're going to see tonight. So then you got the you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven visions taking place, and it begins. Check out the earth. The earth is at peace. Okay, we need to do something about it, and all these things are taking place. Information we've get gathered, and now we're going to have verse eight. So what's the result of all of this? Well, and now we have it right here, the 8th vision. Chapter 6, verse 1. I looked again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains. Mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dapple. Or dapple. All of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these, my lord? And we've heard something like that several times. The angel answered me, these are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. The one with the black horses is going towards the north country. The one with the white horses towards the west. That's a questionable translation here in the NIV. We'll talk about that. And one with the dappled horses towards the south. When the powerful horses went out, they were straining to go throughout the earth. And he says, go throughout the earth. So they went throughout the earth. Then he called to me, look, those going towards the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. And so that's what we see taking place right there. Uh, I've got several things written down here. So page one on your notes. Uh, I've got the bullet points at the top. I've got broken this chapter in two sections. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, obviously. And then the next part, which I hope just read through and kind of lay the foundation for next time. Uh, the, they focus on these. This vision continues just like the first one to focus on Israel's international affairs. Similar to the first vision with the angel Lord standing among the myrtle trees. Now it's going to have... This is not what it says. The myrtle, they're in a ravine. The first one is in a valley, a ravine, which would match the Kidron Valley just outside the temple. The horses are in the presence of the Lord and are coming, in this vision, out from between two bronze mountains. 
Now that's all it could be, just a bronze mountain there and a bronze mountain there, just part of the vision. What do they mean? Well, we'll talk about it here and get some details, but bronze represents judgment. Bronze represents the wrath of God. And again, I've already said it, so might as well look at some examples. Uh, point two under chapter six, verse one. Uh, there's the bronze altar and the bronze basin outside the tabernacle, outside the temple. They were not in the holy place where it was gold or the most holy place where everything was gold, where God's presence was. But outside of God's presence, that's where the sacrifice for sin took place on the bronze altar and they, all the utensils were washed in the bronze basin. Uh, in Jesus' feet, in Revelation 1.15 and chapter 2, verse 18 of Revelation, are polished bronze or burnished bronze. Uh, chapter 1, verse 15 of Revelation, when he appears to John, his feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Uh, and that's speaking of the feet that's going to trample the nations. That's Isaiah. Uh, do I have it written down there somewhere? Isaiah 63. Uh, he'll trample the nations with his feet when he returns. So bronze feet speaks of judgment. That blood is going to be splattered on his garments as he's bringing judgment. Um, chapter 2, verse 18, interestingly, talking to one of the churches, the church of Thyatira, uh, Jesus introduces himself by saying, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now again, I think it's pretty clear when you understand Jesus' feet are like burnished bronze, that's not just talking about, oh, what a nice accessory. What goes with burnished bronze? we got a nice gold belt. This is really fashionable this time of year in the spiritual kingdom. No, the idea there of his feet are like burnished bronze are these are the feet that are bringing the judgment on the nations, but... He's introducing himself here to the church, and who's, who's, who is he? Well, I'm the one with the feet of burnished bronze, and you guys have better straighten up, or I'm bringing judgment to you, and he's going to remove their candle stand and things like this. So, uh, also, just point C, on the porch of the steps of the temple, if we drew it, the temple right here, this is Solomon's temple, most holy place, I know it's not proportional, and here's the porch, the steps coming up, there's a bronze pillar there and a bronze pillar there, uh, their name, Jacob and Boaz. That's the name of the pole, the pillars. They're uh, what I got written down here: thirty feet tall. Oh, I can't see where I write that. There's thirty feet high, thirty feet high, and eight feet wide. So they're eight feet wide. They're like an eight feet piece of sheetrock or plywood. That's how wide they are. Bronze. They were broken down by Babylon and then broken pieces and taken to Babylon. And several things are mentioned like that. Uh, which is interesting, that's all out on the outside. I'm just saying as you approach, this is all the judgment took place here, and then you entered into the relationship with the Lord here as you went to the temple. Uh, interesting that the Bible mentions those being broken apart and taken, uh, but there's no, no reference to the Ark of the Covenant, which, whatever it means, it, it, it wasn't taken to Babylon. There's no mention of it being taken to Babylon. Other things were mentioned, it's just like it just disappears, which, again, that remains a mystery. Uh, not that I've got any answers for it. But nonetheless, um, these the bronze mountains speak of judgment and wrath. It would be fitting, and again, this is me speculating, tying it together, if the first the vision takes place in a ravine, which it does with myrtle trees, if it's the Kidron Valley, and this is where the angel of the Lord is standing among the myrtle trees, and there's horses there with him, and he's talking to God, how long must we wait for judgment? How long must we wait? And he given a peaceful answer, so I'm going to take care of it. Well, now, coming out from between two bronze mountains, well, this mountain is Mount Olive, and this is Mount Moriah, also called at different times, depending on where you're at in history, Mount Zion. This is where the temple's at. This is where the Lord's going to return for his second coming, setting up the millennium. This is the Kidron Valley, uh, is where Jesus Christ will be seated in glory to judge the sheep and the goat judgment. Even Muslims teach that. I mean, a Muslim taught me that. And we were in a, some, some uh, what do you call it, diversity today at school, and the Muslims up there waxing elegant about Jesus, and says, well, Jesus is going to judge all mankind in the Kidron Valley, east of uh, you know the Dome of the Rock. And it's like, well, I got a question. It's like, and that's where I began to realize that, they believe in Jesus. Now, 
he's like the prophet before Muhammad, and he's coming back, and he didn't die on the cross because Allah tricked the Jews into crucifying Judas, and he took Jesus to heaven to save him to come back in the end times to fight against uh, someone that's going to come to save the Christians. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to break all the crosses off the churches. Now, this is all Islam teaching. It's like, so I'm taking notes. But anyway, they've got Jesus in the same place the Christians do. And uh, it's all, we're reading Old Testament verses. So you've got the Jewish Messiah, uh, the Christian Jesus, and then the, the Muslim, quote, Jesus, all in the Kidron Valley on the Day of Judgment, which is just, uh, you know, try that. Anyway. In this Kidron Valley, if this is one of the Bronze Mountains, this is the other Bronze Mountains, these horses in this in chapter 6, they're attached to chariots. Uh, there's no mention of riders, but I think we should assume there's riders in the chariots, military, you know, prepared for military, but they go riding out from between two Bronze Mountains to the north and to the south, and that'd be, you know, a good place to be coming up out of the Kidron Valley, going different directions. So, in my mind, and this is not again, this is not what the text says. They're in the Kidron Valley, chapter one, or vision one, vision two, and when the horses start riding out from between two bronze mountains, it's these two bronze mountains where God's presence is, where the Lord's going to return. They're coming out of the Kidron Valley. Now, that don't don't lock in on that because if, you, if it's wrong, you're going to miss a greater meaning somewhere. So keep just keep that in mind. Okay, going back up to the top, I'm just looking to see if there's anything else here. Uh, the, the fourth bullet point down, the vision, vision eight, the horses are harnessed to chariots and come into the vision from between two bronze mountains to be sent to execute God's judgment on the Gentile nations. And this is what's taking place. This is God's judgment going out to the Gentile nations. Now, and I, I don't know the answer to this, and I don't know if we're going to double up on meaning here. Are we talking about 519 B.C.? Is Zechariah seen on February 15, 519 B.C.? This is what the Lord is going to now institute and begin doing right now on this date in history, uh, going up and confusing the Babylonian Empire, replacing it with the Persian Empire. Well, you know, it's already happened. And we're well into the Persian Empire. Is that is this what he's talking about here? Is that in what we'd say uh, contemporary, or are we talking about uh, we'll just say uh, okay, millennium or the kingdom? Are we talking about the future? Of uh, this is when Jesus Christ returns and judges the nation, the sheep and goat judgments, tramples the nations, and sets himself up as king of the entire earth. Uh, and I, I, as, as I teach through this, sometimes I'm going to be talking like it's, it's happening, it's Zachariah's day occurring. Sometimes it's like we're waiting for it to take place in the future. Uh, and you, you, can, you can do both. I mean, I, you got to be careful in, hermeneutically. Is that what is taking place? Are you talking about, has it got double meaning? Um, and yes, indeed, it, it could. Uh, it, it, even in the New Testament, things are, you know, we've talked about it now. It's happening now, but, but not yet. It's like today we are sons of God, but wait, not yet, because the sons of God have not yet been manifested. So we are sons of God, but we're not. Because, and so it's like, and the same thing here. God is clearly, well, you're going to see, if I keep reading here chapter 6, God is clearly building a temple in 519. I mean, they're, they've started the temple. They're going to be done in 516. So they are in the process of building a temple. And Joshua is the high priest. But at the end of this chapter, Joshua is going to be given, a, 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 it's a great chapter, a great part of the verse, Joshua is going to have some men come together according to Zechariah's command, and they're going to build a crown for Joshua, and Joshua's going to wear this special crown because Joshua represents the branch who when he comes, he's going to do what? He's going to build the temple. But when the branch comes and builds, this is the rest at the end of this chapter, the branch comes... He's going to build his temple, and in that temple, he's going to sit on the throne as the priest and the king. It's like, so, I thought Joshua's 
in charge and, Zach, uh, and Zerubbabel were building a temple. Yes, they are. They're in the process of doing it. But we've already saw the vision that they're symbols of the branch. Who's this already from another vision? The branch is going to come and do the same thing, except in a greater sense. So even in, in these visions, this is almost a type and shadow of what's ultimately going to take place. But this type and shadow has to be real because we've got to get on with history for the Messiah to come to a temple in Herod's day so he can die, be crucified, and you know. So it's, it's a type and shadow, but yet it's absolutely necessary and real, but yet it's pointing towards something and setting the stage for the ultimate fulfillment. So as I read through this and I, and I teach this, it's like I, I feel like I'm, on, you know, I'm unstable. Are you talking about 519? Yes, but we're going to look ahead to here. So here we go. Um, chapter 6, verse 1, what else we got written down there? Point 4. Uh, no, uh, no writers or angels are mentioned here, but it is assumed they're there. The number four, the four chariots, probably uh, if it's going to refer to the universal control. North, south, east, west, for the four corners of the earth. And, the, and again, this is the point of the first and eighth vision, is God is in control of history. The Lord is in control of history. Now it's Israel's job to obey and cooperate, but God is controlling history. Uh, chapter 6, verse 2. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses. Uh, we could go to Isaiah 66, which is an eschatological verse. And it says this, uh, See, the Lord is coming with fire. And this is, on the, this is the judgment, when He comes in judgment in the final days. The Lord is coming with fire, and His chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people, meaning the nations, the Gentiles, and many will be those slain by the Lord. And that's Isaiah 63. He's trampling with his feet. Revelations, his feet are like burnished bronze. Here he's coming back. And notice the point there is he's coming with chariots. The Lord, you can see chariots and other visions and, and references, but it's not unusual to see angels aligned with horses attached to chariots going off at God's direction, bringing some kind of judgment or oversight. So this matches very well, and it's not you know, radical to say by any means. These are angelic horses with, and you know, not the horses are angels, but they're an, angelic, they're used by angelic beings. Uh, the colors, red, black, white, and then uh, dapple. Uh, of course, your mind instantly goes to the, the seals of Revelation, the first four seals of Revelation 6, and the colors match. Uh, we've, got, we've got white there, followed by uh, black, no, 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 red. Is it red? And then black, and then pale. And so what we've got here, we've got white, we've got red, we've got black, and then we've got, uh, how do you say that? Dapple. D-A-P-P-L-E. That's spotted or, you know, spots, you know, like that. So this could be the same. Otherwise, these are very clear. White is white, red is red, black is black. Pale or dapple would be potentially the same thing. Um, in Revelation, the white horse is the Antichrist that's coming, and he's bringing peace or victory type of thing for his kingdom. The red horse is going to be the sword, and it's going to be blood. It's going to bring war. The black horse is going to be death, and the, the pale horse is going to be pestilence and plague. Uh, I think I've got that written down here on the notes. Uh, red, war, black. Oh, I, B is not spelled correctly. I misspelled black. Um, this, of course, is not referring to the Antichrist, but nonetheless, the, the horses are a similar color. This text does not say anything about what the colors mean. I mean, so to say, you, you, Revelation kind of aligns them up with some kind of an event. Here, they're just the colors are just given. Um, so now the question is, there's probably a lot of things going on in this vision that could have been mentioned. I mean, the vision could be like, you know, four chapters long, all the details. 
uh, but a lot of things are just being overlooked. The, the fact that these colors are mentioned would seem they're significant, but yet you're guessing at what the significance is. Um, point two on page two, the rabbis in the ancient world believed the colors represented world kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Um, that, that would match up with Daniel. Uh, but again, just know that these are, these are given. I really want to have them mean something, but I have no substance except to connect them to Revelation, connect them to Daniel. Uh, but these are not evil horses. These are God's, they're God's direction. Even evil horses, you know, uh, the Antichrist on the horse, he's under God's direction. That's why when the seal breaks, he can come, but not until the seal's broken. And that's right, point three, the meaning of the colors is undetermined, but since the colors are mentioned, it seems there is some meaning. And once again, we're reading this in 2022. They are reading it 2,500 years ago in 519 after the prophet gave them the vision. I mean, they could have a, a Q&A time after the vision was given. You know, maybe he could explain it more. We don't know how, how Zechariah presented this. We do see at the end of the chapter here, the last line he says after this next, next uh, oracle from the Lord, the chapter ends, this will happen if, oh wait, 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 verse 15, those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. So, Zechariah may not necessarily be like front and center and everybody's like listening, although we do see in Ezra that it was Haggai and Zechariah that inspired the people to get this temple done. But just like all the prophets, he's kind of hanging in the balance where they were hearing the word, but is this really, is Isaiah really telling the truth? Or is Jeremiah really telling the truth? Well, when everything they said comes to pass, it's like, where's those books? Let's keep those. Well, Zechariah's even putting in there here. When you see these things take place, you'll, you, I, I know you're wondering if I know what I'm talking about. When you see this happen, then you'll know. You better keep my book. And that's, you know, uh, what, what he's saying here. Okay, chapter 6, verse 4. After he sees these colors and these horses, then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, the same thing we are saying. What are these, my Lord? I mean, Zechariah doesn't, I mean, he's looking at the same thing we're looking at. I see colored horses. I see bronze mountains. I see them going off. They're going somewhere. What's going on? Fortunately, the angel, sometimes the angels, I don't want to say he's coy, but he's like misdirecting, or not misdirecting, but he's redirecting Zachariah's question. We never really get a straight answer. And the angel answered and said to me, these are going out to the four winds of heaven. You've got the, the, the four chariots or the four colors, and you know, which maybe speak of the four directions, the whole universal earth, and they're going to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. In other words, they're coming out from between the two bronze mountains, it would appear, because they've counseled, or they've got directions, they've met with the Lord of, and this, we're going to go back to that, the Lord of all the earth, and he's given them directions, and they know where they're going, and they're coming forth straining. They're coming forth powerfully. They know where they're going. They have clear directions. They're going to accomplish the mission. They're well equipped. There's nothing holding them back. They're going out to accomplish this. So these are those going to the four winds of heaven. They're going throughout the, out the earth, everywhere, uh, after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. Uh, points down below here. Number one, the four winds. If you look in the Hebrew right there, you can see it very clearly. I'm going to start and read it backwards uh, because it's written you know, in Hebrew. And answered the angel and said to me, these four, see right there, spirits, so these four spirits of heaven will go out from their station. So the four spirits, it's not, it could be wind, see like the word spirit, and you can see it right there, uh, can be spirit, it can be wind, it can be breath. It's, it's all the same word, like pneumatic nailer in the Greek, you know, pneumos. You know, it's, it's, I teach the kids as a pneumatic nailer, then I do a little Greek with them when I show them the pneumatic nailer. It can be the, the, the spirit nailer, the wind nailer, the breath nailer, the air nailer. But nonetheless, the same thing here. So when it says the four winds, that could be saying these are, uh, these are going out to the four spirits who are controlling history in these four corners of the earth, which as we know, rulers and authorities, principalities and powers, 
Angels are everywhere doing the work of God. So these forces on the chairs are going out to their destinations to execute the judgment of God that the angels have been waiting to do. But nonetheless, the four directions. Uh, and again, I point B under one, the four winds or four spirits. Point B says the four angelic powers that bring about God's decrees. And I'd give you several references there where you see that very thing take place. The angels are acting out the judgments. Okay, uh, interestingly, when it says they presented themselves before the Lord of all the earth. Now, the casual reading, the Lord of all the earth, well, it's God. He's Lord of all the earth. He's the Lord of everything. He's, he's the creator, okay? That, that's true. Uh, and so this could be they've gone and met with God, and that would just be a general reference. It could be any time. But this is one of those places where you kind of get a feeling that, yes, this is taking place in 519 B.C., but they've just presented themselves before the, the Lord of the whole earth. Now, this is a title, and I've got it written down here, coming out of uh, uh, Micah chapter 4, verse 13. And this is an eschatological verse of the final days when the Lord returns to fight His enemies on the earth, the Antichrist, the nations that, you know, it's Armageddon type stuff. Michael chapter 4, verse 13. And you'll we, we've got some great verses coming up throughout here. Not that I'm going to be able to explain all of it, but you've got, the in chapter 14, you've got the Lord coming back to do battle, and you've got chapter 13 and 14, you've got Judah doing battle with Him, and it's like, where are all these battles taking place? They all seem to be future eschatological battles. Well, Micah 4, verse 13 says, Rise and thresh, daughter of Zion, or daughter Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. I will give you hooves of bronze. See, now there's your bronze feet. There's your bronze judgment. So now the daughter of Zion is mounting up in a military formation to bring judgment for the Lord in the end fighting alongside the Lord, which we're going to see that in Zechariah. For I will give you horns of iron, I will give you hooves of bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations. That's the judgment on the Gentile nations that have risen up along with Antichrist in the end. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord. In other words, you're going to take all their stuff and it's going to be given to the Lord. Their, now watch right here it is. Their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. So, Lord of all the earth. Okay, now, you know, again, Sunday school, you're just, you know, casual Christian. Who's Lord of all the earth? Jesus is Lord of all the earth. Okay, and how often is He Lord? He's Lord of earth all the time, every time. This is true. He's the sovereign Lord. But as we zoom in on this, who's the God of this age? Saint is the God of this age. Saint is ruling right now. Uh, but he's still under, you know, God, the God of the universe. But Saint is the God of this earth, the God of this age. Jesus came and infiltrated his kingdom in the Gospels and just threw a monkey wrench into the whole thing for him. Now, Lord of all the earth is a title for the Messiah. When he establishes his kingdom, and in fact, the, the well... Look in chapter, see if I can find it. Yeah, right here. Chapter 14, verse 9. This is Jesus coming back as people stand on the Mount of Olives on that day, the whole thing. Verse 9. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. See, what's that not saying? Chapter 14, verse 9 of Zechariah. On that day, chapter 14, verse 1. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. Uh, chapter 14, verse 3. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. Verse 4. On that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And then verse 9. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. Indicating that day is not here. His feet are not on the Mount of Olives. Uh, he, he's, he's not going out and fighting the nations on the day of battle. And He is not king of the whole earth. You say, whoa, whoa, yes He is. Okay, technically, no He's not. Saint is the God of this age. This day is coming. So that makes this a title for the return of the Lord in the millennium. Does that make sense how I'm saying that? It's like, well, I thought Jesus is always king. Yes, he is, but he's seated at the right hand. It's the now but not yet concept. So, 
Chapter 6, verse 5, when we read it again, And the angel answered and said to me, after I asked, Zechariah asked, What are these, my Lord? These are going out to the four spirits of heaven, the four winds of heaven, after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. So are they, in 519, presenting themselves to God, and He's sending them out on a mission in 519 to overthrow Babylon? Or is this future, when the Lord has returned to Mount Olives, which would be one of the bronze mountains in between you know, Mount Moriah, and they're down here in the valley coming between the mountains, and they presented themselves to Jesus after He's returned and is Lord of all the earth. And he says, go, and they're going out to bring judgment to the whole earth. Uh, again, I, I can't, you know, it, both are true, because it, we're talking about this time in history, but yet we're looking to the future. And I just write that down, uh, point A and point B are written right there. Chapter 6, verse 6. The chariot with the black, now this, this causes me some concern, some confusion. Uh, I, at least I don't understand it like I would like, to, I'd like to just just really nail this and say absolutely, but it's like, what what are we talking about? I mean, it's first it's simple, but yet, okay, well, here it is. The chariot with the black horses goes towards the north country. The white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go towards the south country. So if here is, and again, if we're going to assume we're in Israel. Here's uh, Galilee, Jordan, Dead Sea. Here's uh, here's Mount Olives, here's Mount Moriah with the temples, here's the Kidron Valley. And, I mean, there's only two ways you can go in my illustration here. You can go south to Egypt, you can go north to Babylon, and again, if you look on the map, Babylon is not to the north, it's to the you know east, northeast. But even Jeremiah says, I see, you know, coming from the north. So, Anybody who invaded Israel obviously came from the north. The Seleucids came from the north. The Persians, the, the, the Assyrians, uh, everybody came from the north. Abram came from Ur of the Chaldeans, but he came in from the north. Otherwise, the east is a desert, so you really can't go east because it's a desert. You can't go west because it's the Mediterranean Sea. So that they're just talking about north and south is not, you know, keep that in mind. We're still talking about the four winds of heaven, the four spirits. Uh, in the NIV, I'm going to read the NIV again, chapter, because I said there, and again, I'm not a Bible translator. Uh, chapter 6, verse 6 in the NIV. The one with the black horses is going towards the north country. The one with the white horses towards the west. That's the NIV. That, there's no reason for that. In fact, there's a footnote there, and I look down at my footnotes, and it says, or the horses after them. Nowhere ever in any text, manuscript, some say, well, it, it probably was there, but it dropped out of the text. Uh, like they got confused when they're copying it and it just fell out. Well, there's no evidence. There's not like that. It never shows up anywhere until modern translation trying to figure this out. So I would, I would say, I would look, I would not, you know, support, again, I'm just me. Uh, they're going to the north. The ones, the white horses, go after them. So you've got the uh, what, what color? The you've got the black horses going north, and after them, you've got the white horses following. That would be now. Now, hey, you've got right there. You turn to page three. You've got the Hebrew uh, with the transliteration and the the literal translation. The ones with the horses, the black, is going to the country north, and the white are going to after them. That's now you, that's that's what you got translated. And the spotted are going towards the country, the south. So there's your spotted, your dapple, the 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 uh, uh, dapple are going south. It doesn't say Egypt. But that's where Egypt's at. So they're going south to Egypt. These are going north. We're going to assume Babylon. Because that's what God was angry. The first vision, he was angry with these 70 years. And now they're living at peace. Someone needs to take care of the country in the north. And so 
this whole, this whole night of visions begins with the angel Lord being upset that, that Babylon hasn't... So they, now again, they did fall. Ba Belshazzar fell, but the people of Babylon just woke up one morning. I mean, Biden's president, you know, when they went to bed, they wake up, you know, Trump's back in town. It's like, well, they just went to work, you know, same traffic, same pay, you know, that sort of things went up and you know, things got better here with Trump in office. But, ah, uh, forget my illustration. But, uh, I mean, they didn't die in the streets. There weren't riots there. You know, there was no Antifa. Nothing was happening. They just, like, woke up. It's like, oh, Cyrus is here. Okay, well, hail Caesar. They didn't say hail Caesar, but, you know, there's Cyrus. So Babylon didn't really suffer. Belshazzar died. In fact, Daniel was in, in part of the ruling class here. When he wakes up the next morning, he just reports to a new boss. And he started working for Darius under Cyrus's roof. So even Daniel just smoothed right through this transition. So there is room to say Babylon, it fell, but it didn't get burnt to the ground. Uh, it just got controlled by Cyrus. So that explains why we might be talking about Babylon not having suffered back here in 519 that yet because now Persia is ruling Babylon so anyway that, those are things that you, it, it's it's a struggle with that so anyway now you've got these two colors black and white black would be death white would be if you're gonna if you're gonna, again it doesn't say this it says black and white why the color well it's just what the color of the angelic horses were but does black represent death and destruction white victory for the angels well, then what is the devil? Plague and pestilence going down to Egypt? Uh, so there, it just hangs there. It's one of those things you just got to know it's there, talk about it, and I'm, just, I'm unsatisfied with what I can tell you. Um, but I do not think, but at point four, east and west, west may not be mentioned at all here since the main roads from Israel lead north and south. And so it's like, there's that. Okay, chapter 6, verse 7. We still get the, the feel for what's going on here. When the strong horses came out from between the bronze mountains, and now we know the these horses are going north, which would line up with, that's not absolute, but it lines up, and these are going south, and the strong horses, when they came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. They're going out to patrol the earth. They're going out to control what's going on. Now, if they're going out in 519, they're going out to bring vengeance on Babylon. But if they're going out after the Lord has returned to Mount of Olives, the Lord is now king of the whole earth, and they're going out to patrol his kingdom, his domain, his millennial kingdom. Uh... So you understand what you remember said right there? You've got the 519. Are they going up to punish Babylon for the 70 years of captivity? Or are we talking eschatological? Jesus Christ returned. He's already taken care of everything. And they're going out to patrol his new dominion. He's the new God of this age. Um, and the strong horses came out. They were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he says, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're patrolling. They're not like bringing judgment, burning down cities, killing people. That's already been done. Jesus is the king of the earth. And they're patrolling the nations. Chapter 6, verse 8. Then he cried to me, Behold, those who go towards the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Now, that could be because Babylon fell back in 539, or... Greece is going to overthrow the Persian Empire, and uh, Alexander is going to come in and burn Persepolis to the ground and take, you know, take everything for the Greeks. Or it could mean Jesus has been waiting, or the second member of the Trinity, God has been waiting throughout this whole time. He reestablished Israel to keep history moving in this direction, and finally He returns. His feet are on the Mount of Olives, and He's conquered the earth. Sends out the angelic patrol. And then he says, Behold, those who go to the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Finally, it'd be in that sense a future event. Finally, I've got the earth under control in my jurisdiction. Uh, then he cried, Behold, those who go towards the north have set my spirit at rest in the north country. And I write this point one. In the first vision, God was angry with the nations. He says, I'm angry, particularly with the nations in the north. 
here in the eighth vision, God's wrath has been poured out on the north country, giving the Lord's Spirit rest. Now again, do you see the tension? Is this 519, you know, in that time period? Or is this in the future when Jesus Christ returns? And I, I mean, I'm, I'm hanging in a balance. And you might need to read like 12 more commentaries and get more confused. Um, does that make sense? Any insight into that? I mean, there's, there's a, there's, I don't want to say there's not much in that, but there's, you've got chariots, you've got bronze mountains, you've got horses, you've got four winds, you've got four chariots, you've got four colors, but only three of them are going anywhere. Where'd the dapple, where'd the, uh, uh, the red ones go? I mean, it's like, and so it's like, and then what does it mean? You don't know what it means. You just got, you see how many assumptions I'm making. The bronze mountains could be figurative. They could be, you know, so the bronze may not mean what I say it does. The colors may not mean what I say it does. The mountains may not be the mountains. The north and south, pretty general, going to the north, going to the south. I know exactly what that means. There's a lot of things to the north. There's a lot of things to the south. See, I mean, see the, the frustration? But if you line it up with the first vision, you do see the universal control of God, and he's angry at the first vision. Then we've got all these other visions and all the details we talked about. And at the end of the eighth vision, they've met with the Lord. They go out to patrol His dominion, and His Spirit is at rest in the north. We've accomplished. In other words, what God intended to accomplish, He accomplished. And Zechariah then has to report this, and people are going to go like, "Now, now, we, now Zachariah is asking the angel questions, and he's got to tell somebody." And then you see the hands shoot up. What are you talking about? With that, I'm going to read the next part here. Well, I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version on these notes because this is kind of fun, and I think you can keep up with it as we go through it, but there's some little details I do want to come back and bring out because there's a lot. Well, here it is. Verse 9. This We'll talk about this next week. Or not next week, in two weeks. And the word of the Lord came to me. Take from the exiles, and now these are exiles that are returning at this time period. Not, not these previous returns, but they're coming back from Babylon at this time, it appears. And I'll pronounce their names the correct way, and if you disagree, then you need to learn. Uh, I'm making that, I don't know how. Heldiah, Tobajiah, and Jediah, Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon. So God points out three guys who have just arrived from Babylon, it appears. And go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Now that is not the Zephaniah that, you know, the prophet. So three guys have showed up from Babylon. Go that same day to Josiah's house. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown. So they're coming. They're probably prosperous Jews that stayed back and had the business. They've got some silver and gold that they're bringing along with them. Get some of that silver and gold and go to Josiah's house and make a crown. So Josiah is somehow going to be the one who's, you know, the metal craftsman. And set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So we know who Joshua is. And Zechariah is telling me, these three guys show up, he meets them at the gate, hey, I need some silver and gold. And he takes them to Josiah's house. Josiah, make this into a crown. Thank you. Now we're going to go and we're going to put it on the high priest's head. Now, the high priest already has garments. He's already been reinstituted in a previous vision. This is something that he's already got the bonnet. Remember, and this may answer that question, remember when they're dressing the high priest and Satan was there accusing him and the Lord rebukes Satan and then he said, put new garments on him. And then Zechariah from the cheap seat says, hey, and, and, the, and he put his hat on. Put his bonnet on. You know, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, put, it, put his hat on. Um, so he's already got a hat. But now they're making him a crown. So this is not the high priestly crown because the high priest is already dressed, head to foot, fully restored in a previous vision. And this is not a vision. This is real time. This is an oracle. This is directions from God. Uh, and take the silver and Thus says the Lord, behold, okay, okay. Verse 11. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, verse 12. And say to him... Thus says the Lord of hosts, and that means the Lord of the angelic armies, the Lord of hosts. All these angels patrolling the earth, the Lord of those angels, the chariots and the horses, 
Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now that's confusing because Joshua and Zerubbabel are actively building the temple of the Lord. But put this hat on him. He's already got hat. Now put this crown on him. This is a crown of silver and gold. And say, the man that's going to be called the branch, he's going to build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord. And that's not telling them, oh, so you guys should stop. They're clearly taking this, and this is now going into the future. You're going to build this temple. And as we know, the temple of Zerubbabel is going to be morphed into the temple of Herod that's going to be destroyed by the Romans. And then there's going to be this, you know, this Antichrist temple of the tribulation and what's going to become of that. But there's going to be then another temple that's going to be built, probably the one Ezekiel was talking about. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor. So you've got a priest being given a crown of gold and silver, and then it says there's a man called the branch who's going to build it, and he's going to have royal honor like the son of David stuff, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. In other words, there's going to be a, he's going to come, and the branch will build a temple. He'll go and sit on it as the king, but he's also going to be the priest. The, the one that sits on the throne will also be the priest on the throne. And he'll make peace or unity between the king and the priesthood. It's going to be on one man. Uh, verse 14. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helam, Tobajiah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. In other words, they're going to set this crown on Joshua but he's not going to wear it around all the time. They're going to have a ceremony. And he's going to wear it, and they're going to make this pronouncement. You represent the branch who's going to build the temple, and when it's built, he's going to sit there like the ruler, but he's also going to be the priest. You got that? Okay. Thank you. We're going to take this crown and set it in this 519. It'll be done in 516. Set this crown right here. So every time you walk by, it's like, Okay, this is just temporary because we're waiting for something bigger to happen. We're just, we're just part of this continuum going this way because something big is going to happen on the other end. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. That would be the Gentiles. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. When you see this branch and you see the Gentiles come, help you build this temple, and he's the king and he's the priest sitting in the temple ruling then you'll know that I am a prophet, he says. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. I think I kind of, what do you mean? If, if, if they don't obey, none, this is not going to happen. It's like, wait a minute, this is going to happen. You're just going to miss out. So that's an interesting verse. That's where we're heading next time, which again is uh, not one of the visions, but one of the uh, oracles that comes after that. And then we got some more following to do as we go through this. All right. I will pray, and then if you've got any thoughts or comments or insights, please feel free. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for other believers to help lead and guide each one of us. We ask that we would continue to follow your ways, that we would manifest your will in our lives, that we would be part of the answer, part of advancing your kingdom, uh, and not be stumbling blocks. We do, again, thank you for the opportunity to be here, and ask that your spirit would open these words to our heart, that we would have greater understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.